Thanks very much. Thanks very much. It's, it's really good to be with you here today. Most of the time, most of my time, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to people. Oh, please be seated. Uh, most of the time, I'm speaking to people that don't want to hear me. And, and, uh, and I, I trust you want to hear me today, so it's really good to be here. At least, uh, at least if you would say that you want to hear me, that would make me feel better. <laughs> but uh, it, it's, it's wonderful to be among God's people. Um, and to, and, and uh, what it does is it creates a great encouragement in, in, for me because as I see you loving the Lord Jesus Christ, and then when I get in front of the Jews, it, I just have this desire, oh, that you could be like them in their love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, do touch our hearts now through your word. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your precious name, amen. Now, if you would turn in your Bibles if you, uh, uh, to, to John chapter 3, I would like to speak today on a, on a passage that, uh, uh, that is very familiar to you. John chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. And I'm just going to read this now. John chapter 3, 14, to get, us, get our, mind, our hearts and our minds focused in it right with, put ourselves right in the scene. And here's what the Lord Jesus said to a man named Nicodemus in John 3, 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Repeat this next one with me, if you would. You know it by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the, in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, I've just read for you, and you've repeated with me, the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. And there's one word in John 3.16 that shows that no one can really understand John 3.16 unless they find the meaning of John 3.16 from that one word. And that one word is so often overlooked, and yet that one word holds the key to understanding the meaning meaning of John 3.16. And the one word that unlocks the meaning of John 3.16 is the first word. It's the word for. John 3.16 says for God so loved the world. John 3.16 does not say God so loved the world as if this was a new thought. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, and that one word for shows that the meaning of John 3.16 is found in a link. The meaning of John 3.16 is found in a link because the word for in John 3.16 is like the word therefore. So really, John 3.16 is reading John 3.16, therefore, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 is linked to what is said before. And what was said before in verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Therefore, 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The link to understanding John 3.16 is found in a very strange five-verse history in Numbers 21. In an event that took place in the Sinai Desert that even to this day, the rabbis do not understand the meaning of this, this, this five-verse history in Numbers 21. They say it's a strange history. Numbers 21.5, let me read it for you. Numbers 21.5. The people spake against Moses and against God. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? And for there's no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this life bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed unto the people, pray, prayed, for the, prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. That little five verse history in Numbers 21 unlocks the meaning of John 3.16. John chapter three opens with a man named Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night and told him, I'm coming to you from a group and we are starved for teaching. And that, that's John 3, one through two. There was a man of the, uh, of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to him by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. And in John chapter three, Christ took this Nicodemus who was starved for truth, and Christ in essence took Nicodemus by the hand in essence, and Christ said in essence to him, come on. Let's take a walk, just you and I, through a history that you know so well, but you have no idea what it means. Let me take you through the history of the Jewish people in the wilderness as they were fatally bit by, by serpents, by snakes. And as Christ took Nicodemus through that history, Christ was saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, I don't want you just to read this. I want you to put yourself there in that time, in the boots, in the shoes, in the sandals of the Jewish people in the wilderness. I want you to put yourself in their shoes like you were one of those Jewish people that's been bit by one of those, those, those many deadly serpents. And if you allow yourself, Nicodemus, to be transported back into that scene, you will be taught truth. You will, you, will, you will be fed the truth that you're starving for. So let's go, Nicodemus. So first, Nicodemus, as you have put yourself in the Sinai, you join now all the Jewish people who sinned against God in Numbers 21.5. Numbers 21.5, and the people spake against God and against Moses. Why did you bring us out here to kill us? There's no bread. And now, Nicodemus, do not think you, 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 Nicodemus, you didn't think anything was wrong when you said those things, but your sin found you out and a serpent bit you and you knew that bite was fatal. 
Numbers 21.6, Numbers 21.6, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and much people of Israel died. And you, Nicodemus, you tried to squeeze out the poisonous venom there in the wilderness and it was too late. And you felt that poisonous venom quickly get into your bloodstream and work its way through every part of your body. You felt it, Nicodemus. And the bite was so intensely painful for you and you tried to cure, you tried to save yourself, but you couldn't, and finally you knew you needed God's help. And so in the wilderness, Nicodemus, you knew that there was no help for man, and so finally you knew your only hope had to come from God, and that's when you decided that, that you were going to confess yourself, not just a sinner, but a dirty, rotten sinner to Moses, which you did, Nicodemus, in Numbers 21.7, Numbers 21.7, therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. And you, you Nicodemus, when you were there, you knew you had no right to demand for, that God save you. You fell on the mercy of God. You begged for the love of God. And you said to Moses, in Numbers 21.5, Numbers 21.5, pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us and Moses prayed for the people, and you knew that God was under no obligation to intervene in the inevitable process of your death from that snake venom. You sinned, Nicodemus. Your sin found you out from that snake. You were bit because of your sin, and the process of death was in your body, and that process was bringing you to die. And God was under no obligation. You cried, your cry was simply, please, 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 God. And then, Nicodemus, you waited for God's response. And God's response came, and when you thought about it, you said, why did God do this? One word, he did it, Nicodemus, because of love, his love. When God responded in, in Numbers 21.8, Numbers 21.8, the Lord said unto Moses, make thee a fiery servant, set it upon a pole. It'll come to pass that everyone that's bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And God had a very specific way for you to be saved from that snake venom. And that was a metal snake was made. Not just any metal snake, a brass one. A very shiny one. So shiny that when, it, when the sun hit it, it blazed. And this very shiny brass snake was to be tied to a pole. Not just any pole, but a very long pole that when it was raised up was a very tall pole that everyone could see. And this very shiny brass snake tied to that very tall pole, lifted up very high, so everyone could see it. And then Nicodemus, you heard God make a simple promise. And his promise, Nicodemus, was, Numbers 21.8, Numbers 21.8, everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And when you heard that, Nicodemus, you thought to yourself, that's all I gotta do? Just believe that God's gonna heal me if I look at that brass snake? Believe God will heal me from this fatal venom through my body, that's it? And at first, Nicodemus, you rebelled, and you said, you mean I do nothing? I just look and believe God's promise and I get healed? You mean I, 
you know, I, I do no more than any child can do. I just look and believe that God is gonna heal me. And at first, Nicodemus, you said, no, I've got my pride. I won't do it. It's too simple, not me. And so, Nicodemus, you refuse to humble yourself. And you walked through a way and you, and, and, and you said, that's foolish. And, but you were in pain and you knew you were dying from the poisonous venom. And you looked at the others in Israel and what did you see, Nicodemus? Numbers 21.6, Numbers 21.6. Much people of Israel died. And you saw the dead bodies of your friends, of your family, of your people dead from the poison. And finally you came to yourself and you said, what have I got to lose? I'll come God's way. I'll believe God. I'll look at the snake. He said to look and believe. I'll do it. As you said. And so Nicodemus, you took that step. You took a step and you looked at the snake on the pole on the, and you believed God's promise that all I gotta do is look and be healed. And you became one of the few that experienced Numbers 21.9, Numbers 21.9. When he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. That's how you found new life, Nicodemus. Owning up to that it was all your fault because you committed the dirty, rotten sin. And you confessed that dirty, rotten sin to God. And then you begged God for his mercy and you knew that God was not obligated to intervene in the process of your death from your sins, but God was so full of love that he did intervene, and God had a specific way to save you, but it required you believing God's promise. It required you relying on God's promise, and when you did that with faith in your heart, you lived, and you were saved from death. And then Nicodemus, after you were safe from that snake bite, you became very concerned, very anxious for the rest of your family, for your friends, for your people you don't even know, but they're your people. And you said to yourself, not everyone has looked believing in the, uh, 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 they, they haven't all looked in believing, they haven't all been saved from death. And you, Nicodemus, you said to yourself, I'm gonna go through all the people and I'm gonna tell them, you gotta be saved, you gotta look with belief in your heart at that pole. And you gave your life to telling and persuading others to look with belief. Look at that shiny brass snake up there and believe that, that by looking you'll be saved, you'll be live and you, and you won't die. And you said, there's no reason why anyone needs to die I'm going to the people right now. That's you, Nicodemus. And then Christ looked at Nicodemus squarely in the eye and said, now Nicodemus, I'm gonna unlock for you the real meaning of that strange five verse history in Numbers 21. I'm gonna show you what it really means. And that's when Christ said the word, therefore, or for, of John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Therefore, God so loved the world. With that one word for, in John 3, 16, Christ was saying, Nicodemus, can you see it now? Nicodemus, can you see that one word as 
in, 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 in John 3.14, John 3.14, and as Moses, can you grab that word as, Nicodemus? Can you see the true meaning of John 3.16? It's all tied up in that word as. In verse 14, Nicodemus, can you see it? As the people sinned by speaking against God, so, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. As the consequence of their sin was the snake bite of death, so, Romans 6.23, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. As the snake bite was painful, it hurt, so, Proverbs 13.15, Proverbs 13.15, the way of the transgressors is hard, Acts 9.5, Acts 9.5, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. It's painful to kick against thorns. As God was under no obligation to save the people from the snake venom, but God only saved them because of his great love. So God did not have to save, but God did because 1 John 4, 8, 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Can you see it, Nicodemus, that the origin of salvation is the love of God? Can you see it, Nicodemus, that God's love is infinite and that's why salvation has no limit? Can you see it, that God took the whole fallen world into a, a hug, a warm hug? Can you see it, Nicodemus, that God's love is eternal and that's why salvation will never expire? Can you see it, Nicodemus, that God's love is unchangeable and that's why salvation will never change? Can you see it, Nicodemus, in that wilderness? There, is no, there was nothing in man to attract God's love. God is holy, man is sinful. There is nothing in man to deserve God's love. God loves the sinner in his disobedience and his sin. There was so much in sinful man to repel God's love away. Man's sin was deliberate, willful against God. Man's sin was an indifference toward God, and I don't care. Nothing in the world to attract God's love. Romans 5.8, Romans 5.8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4.10, 1 John 4.10, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Oh, the wonder of it all, Nicodemus, that God loves such a, a worthless world, the wonder that God loves such a wicked world and God expressed his love in Ezekiel 16.6, Ezekiel 16.6, when he said, when I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Yes, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Ezekiel 16, 8, Ezekiel 16, 8. Now when I passed that by thee and I looked upon thee, behold, thy time, thy time was the time of love and I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord, and thou becamest mine. God loves man in spite of man. God loves the fallen family of man. God loves the world, not as he made it holy, but as the world made themselves sinful. 
And just as God was under no necessity to interfere with that process of death through the venom, God's love was completely free, completely independent because he was under no necessity to interfere with the eternal fatality of sin. But he had a specific way. He had a specific way. And so, as God had a specific way to save people from the snake venom in the wilderness, so, Acts 2.21, Acts 2.21, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. As that brass serpent, that brass snake, was just a symbol, it was just a simple, that brass snake did not have any poisonous venom in it. So, as that brass snake did not have poisonous venom in it, so, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Just like as that snake was attached to a pole, so, Psalm twenty-two sixteen. Psalm twenty-two sixteen. the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. As that snake was lifted up, so, Matthew 27, 35, Matthew 25, 27, 35, they crucified him. As that snake had to be looked at to be saved, so, Isaiah 45, 22, Isaiah 45, 22, God says, Christ says, Jehovah Jesus says, look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, there's none else. Can't you see Jesus on the cross? He's on the cross. People are hiding, as it were, their faces from him by Isaiah 53. People are turning away, they're not looking. And on the cross, his heart is saying, look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. I am God, there's none else. And as no one, Nicodemus, could take credit for being saved from that fatal venom by just looking, so, Titus 3.5, Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So, Ephesians 2.8, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, Isaiah 64, 6, Isaiah 64, 6, we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And as by just looking at that brass serpent to be saved, it stripped everyone of pride, Nicodemus. So, James 4, 6, James 4, 6, he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud but gives grace to the humble. And as Nicodemus, no one was excluded from looking at that brass snake. Everyone the invitation went out to, so, Psalm twenty-two twenty-seven, Psalm twenty-two twenty-seven. all the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before him. So, Isaiah 45, 22, Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the world, for I am God and there is none else. 
So John 7:37, John 7:37, in that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man, any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. So, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Matthew eleven twenty eight, come unto me, all ye that are labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Not just to the Jewish world, but God loves the whole world. God loves the world outside the Jewish world. Not just the world of the elect, God loves the whole world. And he is the propitiation, 1 John 2, 2, 1 John 2, 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 4, 14, 1 John 4, 14, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. John 1, 29, John 1, 29, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. God loves the whole world without any distinction of nationality, of birth, of race, of education, position. He simply loves the whole world. And God's love is not impersonal. It's very personal. It's very individual. Galatians 2.20 does not say, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loves the world and gave himself for the world. No. That's not what Galatians 2.20 says. Galatians 2.20 says, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. So personal, so individual. I always appreciated how Billy Graham would end his, his crusades with, and remember, God loves you. And the first step, Nicodemus, to, a, to, to, to have, get, receiving from God, you gotta confess. You gotta tell him you're a sinner. You gotta be like the publican of Luke 18, 13, Luke 18, 13, who smote his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. You gotta be like King David, Nicodemus, of Psalm 51, Psalm 51, 2. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified. Romans 7, 18, Romans 7, 18. I know that in me dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform it I find not. Job said, Job 14.4, Job 14.4, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. And those who were saved, Nicodemus, from that snake bite, they felt this obligation. They got to go and tell others. And so Mark 16.15, Mark 16.15, he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And just like today, you've been healed from your sins and you say to yourself, not everyone knows that all they have to do is trust Christ. All they have to do is believe Christ died for their sins in order to be healed from their sins. I'm gonna give my life for that purpose. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna be like Nick. I'm gonna go throughout the whole camp and say, have you looked at the brass snake and believe? Have you done it? Are you still suffering? Is the venom working? All you gotta do, Romans 10, 13, Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How shall they call on him whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? How shall they hear 
without a preacher. How shall they preach except they be sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet that them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. That was the walk that Christ took Nicodemus on, a walk through that five-verse history of snakes in Numbers 21. And after that walk, then Christ turned to Nicodemus and gave the great, therefore, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That great Numbers 21 analogy of the brass serpent, Christ was in essence then telling Nicodemus, do you see it, Nicodemus? How the people had to do something? They had to look and believe? Those were the instructions that God gave to Moses and God gave to the Israelites and the message that came to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, you gotta do something now. You gotta make your move. You gotta make your move. And Nicodemus went away from that meeting and he understood the mystery that the rabbis have never understood, the snake on the pole. And Nicodemus started off in this chapter, in verse two, verse two, John three, two, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. And, Nic and Christ said, okay, I'll teach you. I'll teach you, Nicodemus, you don't really need a teacher, you need a savior. I'll teach you, Nicodemus, you, you need a savior to save you from never being able to see heaven. Nicodemus, you need, uh, 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 Nicodemus, you think you got a good birth? You think you got a prestigious Jewish family? Nicodemus, throw it in the trash because you need, a, be, you need another birth. You need another birth because your first birth was a Genesis 6, 12 birth. Doesn't matter what kind of family, your first birth was Genesis 6, 12. God looked upon the earth and behold it was corrupt for all the earth had corrupted his way. And Christ told Nicodemus, there's no birth that's not corrupt and ruined because of physical birth of Genesis, of Genesis 6, 12. Genesis 6, 12, all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Nicodemus, you gotta be born all over again. You need a second, you need a second run of this birth. And he taught Nicodemus that you need to be born of the spirit, Nicodemus. Oh, Nicodemus, do you hear that wind outside? That's like the spirit, Nicodemus. You don't know where it came from, but it's here. So is everyone that's born of the spirit. And those Nicodemus who, Christ could have said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, those who get help from me don't come to me with, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher from, from God. Those who get help from me they come to me like Matthew 15, 25. Matthew 15, 25. Then came she and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. I mean, it reminds me, I can't help but think about <clears throat> so much tragedy from October 7th and the massacre down in the south of Israel. And with so many testimonies and horrible and terrible and terrible, but there's one of a woman and her son that were in the 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 safe room that was not a safe room, the shelter that was not a shelter. And she heard the Arabic speaking and the terrorist going out there and she just said, I'm gonna trust God. 
and she thought of every name for God that she knew of. She didn't know Jesus, but she thought of every name and she started calling on Elohim. She started calling on the El Shaddai. She started calling on the God who helps me. Every name she knew from the Bible and the terrorist just walked out of the house and didn't touch her. Very unusual. What'd she do? Matthew 15, 25, Matthew 20, 15, 25. Lord, help me. Mark 9, 24, Mark 9, 24, the father straightway cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help now mine unbelief. Luke 18, 38, Luke 18, 38, Jesus, thou son of God, have mercy on me. Mark, Matthew 9, 27, Matthew 9, 27, two blind men followed him crying, saying, thou son of David, have mercy on us. And the list goes on, the woman of Cana, have mercy, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. That's Matthew 15, 22. Matthew 15, 22. Luke 23, 42. 23, 42. Lord, a thief on the cross. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. The last minute, salvation. Matthew 8, 2. Matthew 18, there came a leopard, worshiped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. And on it goes, Nicodemus, that's how people get help from Christ. That's the cry. Not, we know you are a teacher come from God, but we know you are a savior come from God. Amen. And those are the pleas of the people. But even though Nicodemus came relatively the wrong way, that did not stop Christ from leading him on, from opening his eyes, from showing his desperate need. Everyone who's outside of Christ needs to see how desperately they need to come to, to, come to God, Amen. to be saved, to be cleansed. A peop, people need to feel the death that's invaded their body like those people felt the snake venom. Need to feel it and cry out, save me. And now we read in, in John, John 3.16, John 3.16, the, the, this word, so, God so loved the world. And he so loved the world because he said earlier, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The Son of Man. Christ spoke of himself as the Son of Man. Very, very few times did he ever refer to himself as God, though he was. He didn't come to earth to impress his distance from man as being God the Son. He came to earth as one of us to impress his brotherhood, his relation as the Son of Man. This reminds me of uh, uh, the little boat marina that we have down in Loreto, Mexico. You go out fishing at 6 a.m. in the morning, you hit that boat marina, it's just jam-packed. The lights are shining and they're getting passengers on board. They're loading gear on these little fiberglass ponga boats. They're casting nets into the water to try to collect live sardines for bait. And when I go out on a, on a, on a, on a fishing trip, it's one of my favorite times to go into that, that, that and just feel and sense what's going on in that little marina. It's bustling with people. And amidst all the bustle, they're yelling to each other and they're greeting each other. Only they're not calling each other by names. 
They're calling each other by relations. Que onda, primo? What's up, cousin? How are you, brother-in-law? Father, how are you? And the relations, it's going back and forth in that early morning, and you can feel this, this warmth of this camaraderie. And you know, if anyone gets in trouble, there'll be a call over the VHS, VHF Marine Radio, and there'll be a rush to help, because all that morning, before they go out, there's a renewal of the bonds of friendship at the marina. It's all about calling each other by their relationship, and it emphasizes this is a family camaraderie. It strengthens the family feeling, and it sets the stage for you. And you go out at sea, of course I will help you. I'm part of your family. And it's dangerous. It can be. Whale strike can sink a boat. Weather, there have been boats that have left out of there, never came back. No one's ever found them. It's dangerous. But they set out from that marina and they've yelled out their family affirmations. They're, they're sending a message. If need comes, I will come and you will not be in trouble because you and I are family. And if that call comes out over the marine radio, ayudame, help me, there'll be a response. Vengo primo, I'm coming to you cousin. It's that early morning family affirmation that strengthens it all. This is exactly what Jesus Christ was doing when he kept calling himself over and over again. 78 times he calls himself the son of man, the son of man. It was just like Jesus in the Loreto Marina there in the morning and all the people and he's calling himself son of man, son of man, I'm related to you. 78 times. And with all that, he's saying, I will come to help you in your need. And it won't be a trouble for me because we're family, because I'm the son of man. Just like being out at sea. And the need comes and it comes over there. He says, all you gotta do is, instead of that VHF Marine Radio, you just pray in your heart. You cry that out. Help me. And because of that, he says, of course I'm gonna come and help you because you're my family. As a, as, a, as a hymn puts it so well, Jesus flew to our relief when he died on the cross for us. Reminds me of a song. Let's play it, a video.
that Christ is saying, I am the son of man, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. It's on the cross where Christ said, I'm the son of man, his sins ain't heavy, his sins ain't heavy. he's my brother. It's on the cross where Christ said, I am the son of man, my sorrow, my grief, my shame, it ain't heavy, he's my brother. It was Paul who said about the Jewish people that they were, who were constantly trying to kill him in Romans 9.3, Romans 9.3, I could wish myself there were a curse from Christ from my kinsmen, my brethren, my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. He called them my brethren, my kinsmen, my flesh, my family, my Jewish family. And he said, I'll trade places. I will take their place in hell if they can take my place in heaven. And he said in Romans 9-2, Romans 9-2, that he had great heaviness. He had continual sorrow in his heart for the Jewish people. And Paul would say, it ain't heavy. He's my brother. And I felt that. He, I felt that he ain't heavy. He's my brother. The beginning of last week, or the week before, when from Loretto in Mexico, I called my dear, dear Jewish friend, Professor Vincent Marks, who've known each other for decades. He's an atheist. And I asked him how he was, and he told me that he was dying from metastasized thyroid cancer. And, and, he, and, and I told him, I said, I'm coming right over. And last Friday, I jumped on a plane to London, and he asked me, well, what else are you going to do in London? And I told him, what I'm going to do in London is one word, you. And he, because he told me he was going to die, and, 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 and I said, you're not ready to die. You haven't come to Jesus yet. And he says, you're gonna, you, you come in here? I says, I'll come halfway around the world because Jesus came a lot farther than that. Amen. And I told him that, that in Israel, 
because it, after the, it was after October 7th. I told them that in Israel, the sirens are so important because they see the rockets coming and they send the siren and the siren says, run into the safe room, run into the bomb shelters. And I told him, I said, Vincent, I'm the siren. And I'm telling you, run into the safe room of Jesus. And that's when he told me, he says, you and I don't agree. And again, I felt that old hand in my chest. And it was a hand of resistance. And I thought to myself, he is resistant, but God is persistent. And I thought to myself, I must be persistent and not silence. And it reminded me also of a woman we, we, uh, we distributed so many hand-delivered of the books changed in the, in the, in the, in the um, mailboxes of Israel and, and one woman took it upon herself to go take them out and burn them. And I thought to myself, what are you doing? You're cutting the wires to the siren? And on Monday, so I spent the three days there, as I was sitting with him, and he was being so resistant, and I it just, I don't know, I guess I forgot. I just told him, I said, oh, Vincent, today is my birthday. I'm 73 years old. And he said to me, happy birthday. And I thought to myself, there's nothing that I would rather be doing on my birthday than to be persistent, trying to persuade the Jewish people to come to Jesus. And that's when I imagine God saying to me, happy birthday, son, give him heaven. And that's when I said to Vincent, Vincent, my life is consumed with trying to throw open the doors of the train cars heading to Auschwitz, the eternal Auschwitz, and saying to the people, get off the train. And I told Vincent, I'm a siren to you in Israel. In the south of Israel, the south of Israel, for years we've been planning to translate that book into Hebrew to two million copies, to put them on 14 containers, to get them in container by container through the port of Ashdod, to get them stored over there, to get teams that would hand deliver them and it happened and everybody in the south before the attack came had for one month that book and God planned that Amen. run into the safe room the safe room is Jesus Amen. God was saying because Hamas is coming Amen. 